welcome from Amsterdam, and thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Game Consultant. Your host of today is Reinout. It is Sunday, July the 12th, and it's time for Game Consultant. So welcome. Welcome for listening, and today we have a jam-packed episode. It's, um, it's a lot of stuff. I got Sammy talking about blogsport.io. Um, currently, he and Vlad are in the program of Hype. Obviously, I did talk to Hype before with Borja, which was, I think, uh, episode 32. So that's uh, quite interesting. So if you want to know about Hype, then listen to episode 32. Meanwhile, Sammy is giving his view on his company, blogsport.io. Next to that, I uh, had a fun chat with Megadev's CEO, Rob, um, all about cheats. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. All about cheats. Well, that's illegal. Well, actually, it's not. And uh, he knows what he's talking about. He has some kind of law background. So um, I guess uh, he knows what he's doing. And I did an intake with him, and then he told me something about, well, this is how people do train in real sports. They go high up in the mountains. They train on on, on, on certain altitude, and then they come downstairs, and then they play their matches, and, and they're very good. It's like training, making, well, do train, make the game harder so that once you go into a tournament, you're officially uh, pumped. Well, that's one way to say it. Anyways, uh, next to that, um, I had last week uh, Dorothy from uh, Torque Esports. Uh, that was the first half. So now we have the second half of that interview. The same counts actually for Rob with Plitch. So then the platform uh, training software for pros, but also for us, the ones that think they can game. Um, I do it in two parts. So uh, it is fun, but also people can digest and then listen next week to the other part. Um, also, I thought about visibility because otherwise people might actually drop off. The interviews are sometimes 40, 45 minutes. That can be quite long. And I thought about it. As I said last week, Oliver Kern actually said to me, like, right, chop it, chop it. So I chopped it. Uh, so um i think that's that oh yeah and of course uh paul Thint is giving his take his view and insights on the game news of last week so it's quite full let's do this so first uh, item of the day is actually blogsport.io so Blogsport supports, uh, well, esports clubs, streamers, influencers, uh, federations, leagues. Um, they have a dedicated white label mobile app. And uh, so that way they can access new revenue sources and engage. So they can engage basically with their fan community. Um, I, I, I liked it. I, I came across the guys when they entered the hype program um they definitely look at, at cricket they look at rugby so it's not like they want to work with the top pro soccer teams because all of them if you talk Bayern Munich Munich uh, Liverpool uh, Barcelona I, I I get on a regular basis companies that say yeah we have an agreement with one of those teams and you wonder how many agreements can a team like that have anyways um I liked it a lot and um if you're interested I have Actually, their their pitch deck. So they they're raising funding, which is also good to mention. Um, 
and well i'm talking to sammy for about nine ten minutes i think it's interesting so if you're interested let me know i can do the intro to sammy and vlad and in the meantime enjoy the interview so before we actually continue with episode uh with darcy and his uh, interview the second part um a couple of weeks ago, I actually uh, came in contact through Hype with blogsport.io. Now, obviously, I have the link in my uh, description, so you don't have to write it down. You can click it nicely after you've uh, listened to this episode. Um, today, I'm actually talking to uh, Semi Kachan. And um, hey, Semi, welcome. Hi, Renaud. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's fun. Uh, I... I um, just quickly, an intro, blogsport.io, I keep saying it. <laughs> yeah, Blogsport is totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Blogsport is a white-label app solution uh, for the sports industry, specifically eSport. Yeah. Um, we combine gamified community management uh, with exclusive money can't buy benefits and try to bring fans, sponsors, and clubs together on one platform. Got it. So... Uh, there's also Vlad, he's, uh, he's CEO. Uh, what are your responsibilities? Yeah, Vlad and I are co-founders. We both had this idea in uh, summer 2019. Um, I'm uh, the chairman of the of, of Blogsport and uh, supporting Vlad a little bit in the background and uh, sponsorships, etc. Cool. So um, you guys entered the program with Hype. Um, how did that go? It's it's going well. Very interesting workshops and meetings. We're getting in touch with a lot of um, people from the industry. Um, it's great to extend the network and also uh, learn to kind of steer the big ship during this COVID times. Yeah. Cool, cool. Hey, and um, so I had a chat with you the other day uh, with Flot, and we we talked a bit about um, uh, focus points and 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 so. We actually got to talk about what well, we first said. We don't need to go after Bayern Munich, for example, uh, because they get already so much and can do it themselves. But you were looking at, at different types like cricket, uh, rugby. Can you say something uh, more about these kind of interests? Sure. So, so basically, our focus are tier two, tier three clubs. Um, so basically, not the, the top notch clubs that have sufficient funding to build a customized app. Um, we are we are supporting really those who uh, would like to have a monthly subscription, um, and also we target um, sports that have a high fan base, uh, but are more niche. And, and cricket, cricket and, and rugby are a very good example of these. There are millions, or not even billions, of fans following this sport. However, if you have a look at the technical coverage of it, it's it's very weak. And here we see our sweet spot. Yeah. And how would you, for example, so let's say uh, you're looking for a cricket team, for example, or a club? Uh, yeah, specifically, yeah. It, it would be a club, really, where we can cover the team or many teams. Yeah. Um, that, that's possible within the app. Yeah. Um, and basically, we would like to provide a platform where, where the clubs can access additional revenue sources. However, provide fans with the access to their favorite players and to their club, yeah. but also to the sponsoring partners. Because nowadays, it's very important to um, include the sponsoring partners in a more digital way. So 
let them convert um, the fan base, let them be in touch with them, uh, because at the end of the day, they have an economic um, objective to kind of um, position their brand and get more visibility. Yeah, got it. Hey, and the business model, I mean, what, can, what, what, what will a team or a club make out of this? Is that on shared revenues uh, or revenue, revenue share? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple. I mean, basically, we, we try to, to let clubs access this technology on a low price. So it's a monthly subscription, uh, depending on how, how, how many services and features you would like to have. Yeah. It starts from 99 euros up to 1,500 per month. Um, and then on top, um, we basically want to share the, the boat, let's say, with, with the club. And then there's a revenue share on every euro that is earned on the platform. And, and there we have established different um, revenue sources, such as um, betting, um, such as affiliate marketing um, through the different shops, merchandise, um, the premium membership. Then we have something, we have introduced something like a digital club membership so that you get the fans even closer to the club. Yeah. Um, advertisement. I mean, there are many ways to, to monetize this. And, and <clears throat> one additional one is, for instance, OTT, how yeah. to make fans watch the games live on their mobile devices. Yeah. Hey, and um, funding? Any, uh, anything you want to say in that? Because I think yeah. you're raising. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for remembering me. <laughs> <laughs> minor, minor part. <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah, I mean, we, we have currently a very good traction and sales pipeline. And here we need to kind of sync uh, development and, and, fun, and, and, and uh, app delivery. So uh, in order to boost sales and uh, delivery, we are looking for 1.5 million uh, euros that we would like to raise uh, with a soft cap of uh, 500,000. So far, we have committed 350k of that. Uh, and um, yeah, basically, every angel that would like to learn more about this or any VCs uh, happily invited to contact me yeah. um, and, and to join the, the Blocksport uh, boat. Cool. Um, well, for everyone that's listening, I have obviously um, your details and those are flat in my uh, description. So uh, the LinkedIn. Um, anything I had more? No, actually, that's it. Thank you very much for uh, explaining me uh, blogsport.io in case people Perfect. don't want to click on it and right away search for it. <laughs> blogsport.io. <laughs> I think. Perfect. All Thank right. you, Reinhard. Have you a too. nice day. You too. Bye. Cheers. So thank you, uh, Sammy, uh, blogsport.io. The links are in the description and some, yeah, well, some further explanation of the company. So if you listen to the uh, interviews, you should know, but it's always nice to read it back and click on the links and there you go. Uh, next in line, Rob. Uh, Rob is talking about Megadev. Megadev uh, sounds really cool, but originally I thought, hey, what a business model, cheats. Is that good? Is that legal? How does it work? And then he suddenly said esports, and I said, well, huh? And um, it became a very interesting talk uh, as well. The intake that I had with Rob, but also uh, this interview. And uh, for the record, I, 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 it's more like a talk that I have with people that interviews. I just want to hear a few things. It's like we do regular talks. 
And um, he also sent me some links, so <clears throat> I, I will have those links on uh, on the blog or in the blog, whatever. And um, but meanwhile, just let's listen to what Rob has to say and his new training software slash platform, Plitch. So the last couple of episodes, I actually went into esports, and um, yeah, a lot of people. I'm fascinated about it, and there it comes again. COVID-19 made esports go berserk. Everyone is watching games. Uh, obviously, uh, people are buying the new PlayStations, uh, the Xbox, etc., etc. I don't have to tell you all of that. Everyone knows about it. Um, and um, in this episode, obviously, uh, after this interview I'm having, I have the second part of uh, Darcy with torque esports um but today i'm actually um having an interesting other talk and and first i got approached and someone says you need to have a look at megadev.info so i had a look at it and it says something about cheats and i thought like hmm so what is that all about and um i got to have a, a an intake call with uh, with robert robert marochik and uh, he started to explain me about um yeah, how it is legal, because that was my first question. Is, is our developers working with you on that? And then he says, yeah, actually it is. And in fact, it turns out the company is around the block already for a long time. But here comes the part. He actually explains to me how cheats can actually help um, the, the, the esports professionals. Right, Robert, did I say that properly? Yes, that, that was a great intro. <laughs> so, Thank you, Ryan. Uh, when I say you're already around the block for a long time, how long? We founded the company in 2015, but our roots go back to 1998, in fact. So that's 22 years. Um, it was my uh, co-founder, Christian. When he just turned 18, he actually wrote his very first cheat on his PC back then. And... Um, he always did it for fun as a hobby. Then someday he had the idea, let's write some cheats and put them in a, in a small program in a so-called trainer software. So he published his first trainer and went from there. But he always did it just for himself until in 2007, he reached a point where he had covered multiple games and people were asking him about it, about those cheats. So he built a a small forum into his website and suddenly people appeared and like, Hey, you know, I'm playing mainly, you know, mainly football manager. That was his big thing. And then a big PC magazine from Germany, you know, uh, it was a PC games magazine. They approached him and told him, Hey, this is quite cool. What you're doing for the football manager. And we'd like to, co to cover what you're doing. And, you know, Christian was like, wow, you know, he, he just, uh, you know, finished his uh, uh, his uh, um, physics uh, his physics studies, and now he's working as a freelance web developer. And there was someone who said, "Hey, your hobby is actually greater than anything else you ever did." I guess that's that was the point where he realized, "Okay, that's cool." So he started building a community, but still really doing it as a hobby. You know, money came from from his web development uh, skills, and in two thousand and twelve he realized this is so much work. I'm going to need to have people actually help me finance it because people kept asking him for new cheats for other games and stuff like that. And he had to buy those games, you know, um, take care of the website. 
And he started to build a super, super rudimentary monetizing tool into his community that he had built back then, right about that time we met and um, shortly after became friends. In fact, he asked me whether I could write him a couple of texts for his new website. Um, I was studying law at the time, intellectual property law, to be uh, quite frank. I mean, I guess you will yeah. dwell on that a little bit later right now. Anyways, um, so I agreed to write the text. We became friends. I, I loved what he was doing because I was in a position uh, where I was so overworked with uh, what I was doing, with studying and everything, that I just basically quit PC gaming since there just was, was no more time left. And he introduced me to the world of, of custom-built cheats to make my life easier and enjoy my games again. Just be like, look, Rob, when you're playing for yourself, why don't you give yourself God mode? You're a really bad gamer. And, and he's right. I am really bad at fights. And just enjoy the world, whatever it is. Uh, I was playing Metro Exodus at the time and uh, was constantly running out of ammunition. I got so fed up. So he wrote me my first customized, personalized trainer. And I thought, that's great. And if he can do that for me, we need to find a solution where we can do it for everybody. Because, I mean, let's be honest, once real life shows up at your door and you're tangled up in work, maybe even family, whatever it is, well, PC gaming costs a lot of yep. time and you're not going to have a lot of time. And that was the initial business idea. That was the spark that said, okay, let's build a software that gives all these people exactly the right tool, the right assistant to still enjoy PC gaming, even with super limited times and yeah. thus super limited skills. And in 2015, we found a company. Yeah. That's the story where um, we came from. Am I right if I say you're offered now to cheat for 2,300 games? That is uh, absolutely correct. So we uh, have just hit 2,300 games um, a couple a couple of days ago. Now we have 2,322 games. Again, rem uh, this is a very big thing. I cannot stress enough. It's single-player games or only single-player mode yeah. of of games so it never is any multiplayer got that's got it and um so let, let's let's hit that to the fact that you suddenly said to me esports and that actually ticked the box with me where i thought like oh and how does that work yeah um that was quite inter interesting actually as i said before we came from a world where we tried to make games easier for people who wouldn't have enough time or skills to otherwise, you know, figure out the game. But it eventually dawned to us. In, in fact, my little brother uh, played a huge role in that. He's, he's younger and he's really a lot into esports. And he said, look, I love this game. Um, I, sorry, I can't remember which one it was, but he said he would like to have it a little bit harder. Can we do this one cheat the other direction? And then it dawned to us, look, we, we can make the game harder or easier, it doesn't matter. Yep. Technology is the same. So we started picking out games where we said, okay, these games have a, a competitive angle. For, for some reason, you might want to situatively make yep. them harder for yourself. Maybe because you're a super good gamer, maybe because you're thinking certain metrics in the game just aren't where you would like to have them. That's what you can do. So we started integrating our so-called hardcore and the even worse are the nightmare cheats that really 
give your game a certain angle that you've never looked at it before. And with that approach, I mean, now you can make your games harder. We thought this is something interesting for esports too. Um, and that's where it came into place. How, how, so besides the esports, how does your model work? So the business model for people that are listening, um, is it consumer? Is it, is it, is it business driven? Because I can, do you need a game developer involved or not? Um, how, how does it work? Mm-hmm. So let me, let me start with, with the legal basis. How does it work from a technical and legal perspective? So I can pick you up there Wonderful. and then I'll walk you through our business model. The, what we do, I don't know if you remember the Game Genie from back in the days, really in the 90s. It was basically a cheat cartridge for the Nintendo Entertainment System. You put it into the cartridge and on top you put the game. So it was like a, it was like a middle layer between the actual Nintendo Entertainment yeah. System and the game you wanted to play. And this cartridge, it operated in the console's memory. So what you had when you started the game, you had a menu then that could, where you could pre-select certain values that you would like to alter. And it would actually alter the values only in the memory on, in the console. So the Game Genie did not look at the game's code per se at all. It just looked at what is changing in the memory. So this is the basic idea we transported into uh, 21st century when saying, okay, what we are looking at is only the computer's memory and we're not looking at the game's code or whatsoever. And so this is the technical perspective. Just look at it very simply said, if you fire a gun that has nine rounds, somewhere in the memory, it will say, if trigger pulled, subtract one round. Well, we find that routine, reroute it, write a new routine at the new place in memory and send the new value back. Mm-hmm. Let's say minus one plus one. So you fire the, you fire the guy and you have nine, nine rounds and like half a second later, not even half a second, you know, fraction of a second later, you have uh, nine rounds yeah. again because we just filled it up. So by doing so, let's, that is the technical perspective. Here comes the legal perspective. And again, um, since I did study intellectual property law, I, I do know a little bit about what I'm talking. And this, is, this has been one of my major focus during my last year in studies, as you can imagine. So what I have found out is that the computer's memory and the code that runs therein is proprietary by all jurisdictions in the world to the operational system and not to whatever software it is that is manipulating the code in its first way. That being said, let's look at the operation system that we're uh, working on. It's Microsoft. It's uh, Microsoft Windows, in fact. Microsoft says, as they are an open platform, you can research it in their uh, developer statements, that you can uh, you can basically do on the Microsoft platform what you want, especially yep. within Microsoft's memory. This give, gives us like a carte blanche to go in there and change the memory. Now, if you would go to a, a Sony Play PlayStation, or ironically enough, even a Microsoft Xbox, we would have to ask the uh, provider of the operation system, Sony or Microsoft, in fact, hey, can we, are we allowed to cha- alter the memory on your, uh, in your operation system on your device? And um, so we would need to buy a license from them effectively. That we do not have to do in PC games. So this is the legal perspective. That's why we don't actually have to ask developers for permission because we are covered by European and international law standards. Um, however, we do 
it was one of our very first approaches to always stay in close contact with uh, the industry because we realized we want to be part of this industry and we don't want to be like a in a hacker niche. But um, this is out of, you know, yeah. we're going too far in this yeah. question. Now let's go back to the business model. So we said, let's create a software that covers them all. So all in one software that you can download for free and you can, for each of those 200, uh, 2,300 games, you can uh, try out one to five cheats for free. Yes, does it work? If it works and if you like it, you uh, can buy a yearly membership. It's, uh, we have three different models here. And um, upon buying this membership, we are giving you a one-year license to use our software with this, uh, with all the cheats that are included. And after one year, you have to renew it, of course. Got it. That is the business model. Because I'm, uh, I'm reading here also, you sent me uh, a blog, which I, the link I will have on my blog too, more than 650 patches per month for a fixed price. So, yes. and, and, and so that's you pay once for all the services. So that's on a monthly basis. You, you pay one amount. You actually pay it on a yearly basis. Yeah. So you only pay once a year. Uh, our highest membership currently is yeah. priced at 40 euros. And you are right. We are, uh, with that, you are getting all the services and included our, well, last month we had 650 patches that we have uh, covered and automatically delivered yeah. to the user's client. Yeah. It's, this is, you know, when you look at the community of, of the so-called trainer makers, that's what we call ourselves. We're trainer maker. And there's a community where people do it mm -hmm. uh, as a hobby. But the problem with having hobby people building cheats is, well, they do it for the initial version of a game. But, you know, games these days, um, they are patched constantly. And with every patch, there is a very high probability that the cheats or, or the chains of memory, whatever you want to call them, uh, they will not withstand the patch. So yeah. they will not work anymore. And this is a huge problem. And, you know, the, the hobby guy, they might do the first version, first patch, maybe second patch. The third one, fourth one, we have games. It's in the same article that have been patched over a hundred times. Who on earth would patch a game and rebuild his sheets a hundred times for the sake of fun? Well, you know, and that's what we do as professionals. That's where yeah. we differ from the rest. Hey, and then um, one of the games that is doing really well, it's a German game, Anno 18. 1800, I need to say. Yes. Hey, and, 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 so you say it broke all records. When it breaks all records on, on your platform, what does it mean? <laughs> this game is an overachiever par excellence. It came out and it spiked our revenues almost instantly. I, literally, we didn't know why. I mean, the NL series has always been one of our favorite series. Uh, it's you know, it's beautiful made. It's, it's, it's just a fun game to play. Personally, I love the Anno series too. For 1404 yeah. still is one of my favorite games. But when Anno 1800 came out, we, we, we just couldn't believe our eyes. Anno has persistently been in the top 10 or even top two games for over a year now since it came out. And with, um, with that, I mean, not only the amount of game starts, so how often is a game started while our uh, software is running, yeah. we, we can measure that, but also the amount of unique users within our software that are playing Anno 
both those those numbers I know is simply unrivaled. Of course, every now and then there's a, another game that comes up, but only for a month it's like a spike, and then yeah. it's I know again just you know boasting through it. It is unbelievable. This game yeah. is great. Got it. So that was Rob with uh, the training software, Plitch. So have a look at that. I mean, uh, quite interesting. Uh, Plitch.com, P-L-I-T-C-H.com. Um, next up is Paul Fint. Paul, um, actually on the West Coast of the United States, um, has a different insight in news that I actually might have. Um, yeah, I'm based in Europe. Uh, I still think there's a lot of difference between Europe and U.S. in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of a lot. Uh, actually, if you would listen back on an episode I was doing with Kate Edwards, which was 23, um, yeah, we talked about cultural differences, and that's a lot. But also uh, news, um, I wanted to do a section on my site where I want to talk to people not only about gaming, but also about stuff that is happening in the world and how we as game developers, gaming people are looking at that, how we can do something about it, if we should do something about it. So it's going to be uh, a video blog, a video podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, and definitely I want to have Paul involved as sort of a co-host where we're going to talk to people. And basically, um, yeah, we talked about diversity and the first thing he said Right, two uh, white males and one Indian dude. That's not diversity. So um, here's a shout out to everyone that has an opinion about what is happening in real life. I mean, we're seeing racism, we're seeing sexism, hate, all kinds of stuff. What are we doing in gaming? What are we doing wrong? What are we doing good? I want to see the good, the bad and the ugly. And I want to discuss. And uh, yeah, it's going to be all recorded by video. I want to have it live on my Twitch channel, which has right now one follower, which I think is a, sort of a, an alter ego of myself. Um, but it's not like I want to get lots of Twitch followers, but it's something where I want to have video blogs on my site where people can look back and... Um, well, obviously, if it's live, you can ask questions, uh, get involved, and after that, you can actually look back and see what other people think um, because from from anything, I would say, we can learn. And by improving, we need to start debating, talking, discussing, feeling, sharing, vibing, whatever. So, uh, but first now, Paul and his week on games. Come on in, Paul. Thanks, Rhino. Hi, everyone. Uh, Paul Fend again here from sunny California. Um, yeah, this week, uh, quite a few interesting stories. Um that I looked at, uh, I was thinking a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion in the games industry. Um, seems as though that, you know, it, it, it's touching upon quite a few of the stories I'm reading. Um, and, you know, just starting to wonder if uh, gaming execs, um, you know, have harmful intent or if they're just, you know, there's just a lack of interest or empathy in treating diversity as an issue, you know, that they personally should dedicate time to address. Right. Um, discussion of diversity, you know, whether at conferences or otherwise, you know, is kind of treated as a token matter. 
um, you know, for purposes these days of political correctness and, and you know, not a pressing business problem to solve. Um, you know, so if the current news cycle is kind of changing that attitude and energizing executives to step up, it seems as though that's happening. Um, you know, the, the, it seems as though the most impactful action that they can take um, is to kind of approach this, um, you know, mu much more different than a PR issue. It's more foundational. It's structural. It's, it's you know, obviously systemic. So it needs to, to have, you know, change. So, I, so I've been trying to look at articles uh, that way uh, and then just kind of take a step back and see, you know, how things could change if um, those things were reframed. So the first article uh, I thought was really interesting was from our Joachim Akron. He um, uh, obviously does his own uh, great uh, podcast called Elite Game Developers. Um, and Reinout has uh, him do updates uh, here every week. Um, he's on holiday right now. But, um, but he's a great friend and I uh, love his writing and, and his podcast is fantastic if you get a chance to listen to that. Uh, he interviews um, investors in the games industry, um, some amazing CEOs and, um, and, and also developers and, and all in between uh, on how you know, they're creating the games companies of the future. Joachim actually talked about advisory boards in this article that I'm referencing. Uh, and um, yeah, he had, he had come up with like um, kind of key aspects and I thought it was really interesting because I've advised companies and I've put advisory boards together. Uh, he listed actually, you know, the the um, current engagements that he has, which are quite extensive and really um, it was a, it was a great kind of bird's eye view into um, how he looks at advisory roles, um, and and so and then and then just kind of trying to school, um, well not school, but uh, give advice to developers who want to create an advisory board, kind of what they should be thinking about. Uh, one was, you know, uh, expectations of the founders uh, for the advisor's contribution. So, you know, really looking at the area's involvement where they'd like to get advice um, and, and the kind of format of the work um, and that kind of thing. So that everybody's kind of clear from the beginning. Another was kind of the incentives for the advisor um, and, and kind of how they would uh, compensate the advisor in, in a way, uh, which would be, you know, with... Um, stocks or other agreements um, uh, or equity, um, early equity, and, and, you know, obviously attaching a, a cliff to that and, and really trying to keep the advisor engaged for the long term. And then the third was kind of the formality uh, of the advisor role. Um, so just kind of looking at, um, you know, if you have to terminate or, um, you know, what that looks like and, and how you should think through that. So that was a great article um, and really helpful, actually, I think, for uh, developers. So one thing I'm trying to do personally um, is kind of frame uh, articles, um, you know, emphasizing the priority on diversity and inclusion, right? So when I think about this article, for example, I would also look at it as like, you know, what could a diverse advisory board bring to my organization if I'm the, you know, CEO or if I'm the developer? And um, I'm looking at, you know, getting uh, advice or I'm looking at getting connections um, in different parts of the world with, with you know, all different types of um, publishers or companies. You know, what, what does my advisory board look like um, from a diverse level? And that would mean, 
you know, obviously race, obviously nation of origin, uh, you know, gender, uh, age, for example. How much experience do these advisory board members have? Um, and how can, how can, if I start framing things with that in mind first, as the foundation of the advisory board, you know, how can I create um, an advisory board that's kind of all-inclusive, uh, like the games industry looks like for the player's side, right? So, I mean, we don't realize how many different types of genres and forms exist uh, in, in, in kind of games in general, um, you know, without a diverse group of people kind of coming up with ideas. Um, and, and, and if you don't have that, then obviously that, none of that thinking will flow into the, the games themselves. Um, and then, you know, along with that, you know, all the models that are, uh, that have come from, uh, different countries and, and different places, uh, that got us to where we are today in, in the habits of people that are playing those games and the business models, you know, the free to play model, for example, and others, um, you know, you just, I don't think you can have, you know, you, you, you know, insight across, you know, all different ways of looking at uh, business problems that you'll come up with. So I think, you know, this, this is an area where, um, yeah, just thinking through um, and, and maybe adding that, you know, I thought that that was interesting. So another article that I uh, liked this week, uh, got a lot of um, views on my LinkedIn was about 16, 1700 was uh, one from Game Daily Biz and uh, Wilhelm uh, Tat, good friend uh, for many years in the games industry. Great guy, was at Rovio before and quite a few other companies, and now he's at uh, GSN uh, running Bingo Bash. Um, and uh, yeah, once again, he, you know, he talked about gamers not getting any younger. Um, and uh, in 2018, you know, people age 65 plus outnumbered children under five years old globally for the first time in history. Um, and, you know, just the way he's approaching, um, there's just a lot of learnings in, in kind of the way he's uh, approached this game um, and just kind of taking some data uh, and proving it out, you know, with mobile gamers uh, being predominantly women, largest group of uh, mobile gamers are 55 plus. Um, and yeah, it was a interesting article on just how, how to like look at uh, that demographic differently and how to design and create games for that demographic differently. Once again, this kind of points to, you know, if you did have uh, a, an advisory board or people in the organization um, that, that can steer and help um, with, you know, kind of foresight and different uh, ways of looking at uh, how to create game experience, great game experiences, it's a good thing. So I do want to mention a couple of other things. Um, one was um, Traplight Studios, the studio I mentioned from last week, actually raised $9 million this week. So that Battle Legion game, um, yeah, is looking good. Uh, congrats to the guys, Sami and Riku. I've known those guys for, I think, like eight, nine years now, and they've been always a hardworking team. Looks like there might be, you know, another great Finnish success story there, uh, and it's really good to see uh, the creativity and Finnish mobile game studios um, continuing to uh, kick ass. So great stuff. Um, and then the other story that just came in was uh, for Ubisoft. Um, yeah, I guess all week there's been some shakeups there. Uh, I'm sure Reinhardt will get into this a little bit more. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I just saw that that there's been executive shakeups on the top level, and it's exactly what we've been talking about in this 
in this uh, segment. So, um, so yeah, you know, maybe change is coming. Uh, hopefully it is. And uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about this topic. That's it for me. If you'd like to get a hold of me, it's uh, paul.thind at gmail.com. Um, paul.thind at gmail and LinkedIn, Paul Thind. Um, thanks, Ryan Out, and um, talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much mentioning that you're from sunny California while we actually are from rainy Europe. Um, so next thing in the line of items is actually Darcy. It's part two of our uh, amazingly fun conversation that we had a week ago. So part one is actually already online, uh, which you can find back in... Um, episode 34 as this is episode 35 makes sense right um anyway so uh darcy and i talked about uh torque esports about the content strategy um well lots today actually it's more like fan engagement and i'm asking him some more stupid questions which he is very generous to actually answer and don't make fun of me now um actually it's a fun interview so uh, i hope you enjoy it part two of darcy with talk esports um well that, that's funny uh fan engagement and and that was exactly you're saying exactly uh, similar to what i said uh, a week ago to um nicholas he's from game buddy um, when you look at Twitch, uh, you see all those chats passing by and, and, and my son is streaming a bit and I'm trying to follow. And then in the meantime, you need to stream, game, talk, and then people are, are, are talking about everything. Um, so fan engagement. GameBuddy actually came up with giving live challenges. So that actually um, uh, that is about fan engagement. So the, the streamer, the gamer can actually... Uh, make money of uh, the live challenges so uh, the fans can choose out of four or five challenges uh, and then the streamer slash gamer has to fulfill that challenge is, is something like that um, uh, interesting for you guys i mean if you look at engagement what, what are you looking what is the best engagement can you give a definition of what you're looking at yeah, well, I, I just go look at WinView, W-I-N-V-I-E-W. So WinView is yeah. exactly what you just described. Uh, their history has been in regular sports. So you can sit down with your friends, whether they're in your, you know, on your couch or they're, you know, they're, they're somewhere else and you're, you're on social. WinView gives you and your friends to, and, and others, you know, the, the opportunity to kind of engage with, with the game so you can predict uh, who's going to win, you know, yeah. what, what's going to happen in the first quarter versus the second quarter. Is this player going to, you know, achieve, you know, the, the scoring uh, goal? Uh, what are the things that are important for, that, that the fans chat about anyway? So you're really kind of taking advantage of what's already all the conversation already happening and you're making it, a, you know, an official challenge that you can, be, be smarter than your friend, uh, your friends about th this particular sport. And you know what, that's what fans are. You know, yeah. they're, they're fanatics <laughs> that yeah. the word comes from fanatics and they, they want to be engaged. They, they want to do more than just be, we would call them armchair quarterbacks here. You know, they, they want to be involved and in, in, in real sports, you can only go so far in 
esports, you know, your chances are you are part of a community already. So you go beyond the chat where it's just noise and you talking with each other and now actually challenges each other. And you, you said it, people can rake, can get real money. They can get prizes. Uh, there's achievements in that. And, and, he, and then you cross over those achievements and let those, uh, you know, best fans play, you know, play against those, those uh, people that were just finishing up a match. Uh, so now the fan engagement goes beyond, you know, crosses over. You step right from your couch into the into the world of playing yeah. if you if you achieve a certain level. So we see that, you know, both in terms of kind of the personal uh, fulfillment, you get something out of it, uh, whether it's a prize or cash or just that notoriety that everybody's hungry for, or you literally use that tool to drive those you know, fans into the game and, and have them as, as participants and players. And because we have a, a tournament and match platform, I mean, you could go from casually answering t trivia questions with each other to one second later, you know, okay, let's all go play together and set up, set up a, a ladder on our UMG system. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, uh, the carrot and the, and the donkey, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. that, that's kind of our, our, our means of getting people involved and we want to, you know, circle them and, and give them tools and, and, and engagement, whether they're playing or not. Yeah. Maybe a strange question. Um, do you think the eSports, well, we're talking about eSports and we say global, but somehow I always have a feeling that the eSports scene is a bit different in, in the U S than it is in Europe and obviously completely different than, than Asia. Um, but you guys are actually on, on, on both continents, uh, North America uh, and Europe. Um, are you seeing differences in, in, in terms of esports? You know, I think differences maybe in the, the titles, the, the types of games they play. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the, the players and the and their no, I think they're. I think there's a you know esports is definitely a great. Uh, it 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 shrinks the divide between continents and geographies. You know, it's a di pure digital uh, native that's in there. They probably already think much more globally than most. Um, but you know, it, it's it's local and global at the same time. You know, everybody that plays you know a Fortnite match, they they probably play with their friends from school. You know, yeah. they they yeah. probably play with their friends in the neighborhood. So in that respect, it's a it's it's local. But all of a sudden. Anybody could jump into that match, or they could all be in a waiting room somewhere, and anybody from any country can be there. So there's kind of both, right? There's a there's both a, a local and a and a global to it. And as far as behavior goes, that you know, gamers seem to be gamers. They don't they don't see a lot. Of course, you know, if it's an Asian gamer, that is different. They 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 tend to spend a lot more time socially engaged than even playing the game. You know, they're on TikTok going. Mm -hmm chatting away before yeah. they play but but you know you're also seeing games getting embedded into these social platforms look at what just happened mixer went off and did a deal with facebook so suddenly now you've got a, the biggest you know large social network and and large gaming company uh all together and yeah. i think you know that's all but you know i talked about uh, tencent and their ambitions in the space so there's some you know that crossover of social and gaming uh I think will further both increase the global nature of things, but also uh, create more opportunities for local. So I, I like, I like that. I mean, I love that we could do local and global at the same time on the same platform. Most times, you know, if you're in television or music or those things, they definitely have uh, geographic boundaries yeah. much more than, much more than gaming. So then think global act local kind of principle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, concerning brands, you, you just, uh, 
mentioned Facebook Gaming. Facebook has some issues right now. Uh, Microsoft, Sony, um, <clears throat> I think everyone is sort of political correct of now saying like, okay, Facebook, we're not spending ad dollars, but I mean, two consoles are coming out. So I guess anytime soon, <laughs> they will come <laughs> back to Facebook. But um, how important are brands for your organization? Um, I mean, Stream, Hatchet, obviously can sort of do something with data in terms of what, what, what value uh, does eSport bring to your marketing budget, right? Yeah. Well, look, you mentioned the billion or whatever the number is. Yeah. Uh, if you look at that, the pie of that billion, the two top categories, sponsorship and advertising, uh, mm -hmm. whether, it's, whether it's teams, players, events, you know, the, that's number one. And number two is merchandise. So all that is brands. People, yeah. companies that want to present their products in in the form of merchandise or, you know, just the normal kind of I'll sponsor an event, I'll sponsor a platform, I'll sponsor a show, I'll be an advertiser, but, you know, just treat me like you normally do, although it's not linear anymore. You know, how does my ad, <laughs> yeah. how does my ad, advertising isn't, isn't about, you know, how many eyeballs. Of course, there's lots of eyeballs in this space, which is, you know, the first attraction, but the reality is we can show attribution. Um, we can show exactly what happens in this digital native world and in this pure digital thing we call a you know competitive gaming it we know what's happening in real time immediately and that's you know the insights of that real time feedback to a brand and a sponsor that's critical yeah i i want to know if i put a dollar in i don't want to wait for 30 days for you know somebody to tell me you know what happened nielsen giving me a a, a panel report i want to know right now in the data how did I do? You know, yeah. how many attributions did I get? Uh, what actually happened post show? What did the what did the audience do? Uh, did they did they follow my message? Did they convert? That stuff's all there now. And then, you know, in this and then gaming, it is hyper uh, real time. You know, yeah. so that's that's a big difference for a brand that's used to having a linear presence and having a you know an ad insertion here and there, and then yeah. looking at results post that might be a week later and then trying to course correct when they when they figure out that campaign doesn't work and in this case you can you can present stuff in game you know we that's you know we talked about being a publisher earlier one of the big powers of being a publisher is i i get all that real estate in the game in a racing game when you're w watching one of our races like all stars or legends or you know the trans am or skip barber racing you yeah. look at that online yeah. you see the signs the livery on the car that's all space that we can change immediately we give people in-game presence so that's a whole different ad unit that they've never seen before at that scale sure in racing they've gone out and put stickers on cars before of that, that you know who's who saw the sticker nobody knows yeah. you know nobody nobody knows if there was even a conversion and back you know in the days of motorsports and even now in motorsports it's still a bit of ambiguous of how your money's doing it's really just a you know it's a tool for you to bring your friends and family and others to to these races and Hopefully, you, you know, you've, the money you've spent has some some uh, results. But in this the esports world, or you know, if you can put your message right in the game, and you know somebody saw it because of computer vision said they, you know, their character was in that vicinity of that uh, message, or they clicked through it. You know, it's not a click anymore; it's an action, and it's a you know, they actually did something like I uh, downloaded a skin from for something in the game, or I went and got a you know coupon that somebody was offering me the nice thing about racing it's it's natural it's not like in you know i've seen some other schemes where there's logos and banners you know mastercard banner in a in a 
you know, a shoot 'em up game, a first person shooter game. That, it kind of doesn't make doesn't feel yeah. like it makes sense as much. Yeah. You, yeah. Know? you know, so so what's you know, the fantasy game is going to have a little tougher time. Sure, you could put a skin on a you know on your uh, character or those things, and uh, you know some of that'll work. But in this kind of traditional, whether it's you know an NBA two K or a race or or a Madden match or, you know, FIFA, yeah. it's natural inside yeah. that game. There's, there's space there. So sponsors and advertisers, they need to learn this stuff. They're very important to them. Of course they're learning now. They, they're, you can see they, they're pulling out, as you said, of these social places where, you know, their message may not necessarily be the the culture of the company. You know, the, right now the flavor of the day is, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of other things in your social network that aren't appropriate for my brand. So I'm going to go and find another place. And uh, the, I think the other place they need to move, if they're in the social, they're probably trying to reach that same kind of, you know, age group. So why not go in and pivot to this, this esports space where it's appropriate for your brand? And in terms of um, all these events being cancelled, the offline events, do you think that the audience is now a bit spoiled? Because I can actually, <clears throat> I can have three, four screens. I mean, uh, over at my place, everyone basically, well, uh, iPad Pro, screen, 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 another screen, a couple of phones, laptops. I mean, we're, we're sitting in our lazy chair, couch, whatever, and we can watch it. I mean... Um, uh, what we just said, going out to Formula One uh, or the soccer match. Yeah, we want to be there on a Sunday. Um, but then still, we, we're sort of with esports. It's like, yeah, we can watch it everywhere now. And since everything is streamed anyways, <laughs> what's your take? I mean, uh, are we going well, to the events later on if, if, if it's allowed again? You know, it's going to be a tough, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, the traditional sports, you know, the fans will, ha will come back. That's, you know, that's where they want to be. Everybody wants to be at the event because that's where you rub shoulders with all your, you know, we said local and global yeah. with your local, you know, all your buddies and you go out and, and do that. But like you said, you can, you can appreciate that in your own home now. And they've seen, people have seen it and, you know, in the, in the digital natives, were already there so they weren't going to they weren't buying tickets and going through gates anywhere yeah. maybe maybe at a uh you know a big esl event or something that they would go but that, those were scarce you know that's that was for the elite or people that were lucky enough to get there and it was in their town this this idea of re everything remote uh i think it's you know it's only six months of this but it's it's pretty embedded in people i think people are realizing right across the board whether it's about uh, going to an event or or just collaborating uh, with your friends, I think people will. Uh, I think a lot of them are never going back to a, a, a physical place. And we, look, we've always been about remote. You know, that's what UMG does. We don't. We don't. Oddly, you know, we we produce very few uh, local events. You know, we did a few LAN events. That's good for somebody who's, who wants to be involved, and that's the SL level stuff. And that, by the way, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, you're going to have your big Lilo Legends and all the things that we typically yeah. have seen. It's not yeah. going to go away. But I think the groundswell is below that. It's where all the other gamers can be now. They've they've, they've even more uh, collaborated and done done things remotely. Our entire production is already set up that way to be remote. Uh, when you watch our productions, there. People are used to seeing the, you know, like, like we call it the Hollywood squares or the <laughs> the Brady Bunch effect, right? A bunch of a bunch of cards on the screen. That that's okay yeah. because I now I see my I see the faces of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not just listening on Discord. I'm actually seeing things, and it's uh, 
these tools are all, uh, you know, they're getting much more mature. So I, I just think, you know, some will go back on traditional sports. Absolutely. They're going to want to wait, but you also got to think about, you know, we've got in the U S at least uh, in some of our areas, we've got people retrenching because there's the second wave of this pandemics upon a lot of the, the areas. Uh, yeah. So it's not, it's not ending. Um, yeah. So if, you know, if, if they go another, I don't know how long it takes to create behavior in humans, but it seems like in the short attention span of our youth and the people that are in the esports uh, competitive gaming space, I think six months of behavior might be enough to just solidify this forever. Um, uh, so those, you know, those that were thinking that young crowd was going to come back to a regular regular sport, that, that's over. I don't think you're going to see that. In the esports, I just see more and more happening um, in the in the remote stuff, and I I believe that we'll see uh, that growth in that area surpassing, you know, what happens. And you can only put so many people in seats in a, in a venue anyway. So I don't just, I just see it kind of becoming a smaller, the smaller part of uh, the opportunity. Yeah. Last question. If people are, are in esports um, and they find this uh, very interesting um, to do some expectation management, what are you looking for if they would approach you? Um, uh, are there any interest points that um, that you're looking for in the market right now? Sorry, what, sorry, what uh, was the more, question? More like, um, so if people are listening, they're in esports, um, <clears throat> what are you looking for before they approach you? I mean, otherwise you get lots of people basically sending you emails, but do you have some focus points right now in terms of partnerships or maybe potential M&A? Really, uh, can you pinpoint it maybe what, your main interest is for 220? Yeah, I, I guess I touched on it earlier, but uh, yeah. my, my interest, our interest is what content, what content's interesting to the audience. Because yeah. everything else we talked about, whether it's about sponsors and advertisers, whether it's about brands, whether it's about just purely the, the volume of gameplay, yeah. if the content's not interesting, they, you're, nobody's coming to you. So yeah. I think being more, much more content in our world, absolutely, we've got the platform to support yeah. You know, a, a great amount of scale in that. We've got a, a, you know, a vehicle now called UMG TV, which is a place for it to live. And it's, you know, getting much more popular. So content, you know, bring it on. I, I, we're interested in any content. If, it, you know, audio, video, gameplay, anything kind of in the space. There's got, there's, there's, it's noisy when you go into these public places like Twitch. It's hard to find things. You know, there's no real kind of... Uh, a guide, although I know I, they recently announced that they're putting a guide in there, but it's still not organized from the back end. You know, everybody that wants to play can be on Twitch. It's yeah. not it's not as organized. So I think you know, just having that space where we are, where we decided to take a you know a methodical approach. You know, I love Twitch and YouTube and these places. They give you a reach and eyeballs, but in the end, the value for us as a brand and for our customers is pretty mitigated because the value is actually for the people who own that, not for the people who are in the brands in there. You don't get any data about the customers. You don't really get the things you need from these platforms as a brand or even as a, somebody like us who wants to grow our content. So eventually, just like in you know the days of early streaming you know that I was involved in, everybody said, oh, let's use YouTube because it's cheap and free and that's great. So go there, but you have to have a, a, a you know, more private kind of one-to-one -one relationship and you need to have the data. And that's what it's all about. It's about the data. And uh, if the platform keeps the data, then what's your real value there? And if they take, they keep the majority of your, of the, you know, the ad revenue, then, you know, you sort of 
you know, if you're a content provider, it's just a nominal amount of money you can make there. And you can see it's being demonetized already, right? It's those, those social platforms are trying to expand their reach. Twitch is doing more traditional sports. They're doing TV shows. I mean, they, they, everybody's got to, got up their game in this space to be relevant. And I think, uh, so content for sure, bring, bring us more content. Uh, look, business intelligence. It's just, again, it's, it's about data. So more insights we can have, the more types of data we can have using computer vision, for instance, as a tool where I don't have, an, have to have an API to a game to know what's going on. I, I can just scrape the screen and, and get a lot of insights. There's lots of AI stuff that's out there. I've seen some really exciting little companies growing up and we're keeping our eye on it and we're also growing it. So, you know, if anything is out there that's machine driven, automated automation, I'm, you know, we're all over it because all that does is create scale and and we don't have to have people uh, doing machine stuff. So that's kind of the digital native world. Uh, so I'd say those are the two things, you know, the more content, more business insights, more data. Cool. Thank you very much. I think uh, very insightful um, to get to know the company better. And um, yeah, 60 days, you say, yeah? So it's uh, July, August. So mid-August uh, is then the schedule for going Yeah, we're... Week. The tra- trajectory to be there by September and earlier is better. So hopefully uh, everything goes as planned. And of course, you know, that everything it doesn't always go as planned. So we're, no. I would just say, you know, by, by September, that's our, our ambition. And if we get there sooner, it's great. But, you know, September would be the right time. Cool. Then uh, I'll keep an eye on you guys. Yeah, I look forward to uh, being back. And, and maybe we should have you on one of our shows soon, too. I think that'd be great. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Awesome. Cool. I am um, going to wish you a happy uh, July the 4th. Thank you. It's, um, are you guys working today? I, I'm hearing lots uh, of people free. Most, a lot of people are off. I'm, I'm working. You know, I always work. I don't think there's, I don't really think the whole, of the holidays, but uh, yeah, most people are off today and you know, it's weird. It's a weird uh, July 4th because yeah. there's very, very few celebrations and fireworks displays and all the normal things that happen. So I think a lot of people are going to wonder, uh, what this fourth is all about. It's, it's kind of weird, but yeah, yeah, we're all off and we're all trying to find out what we're going to do in this, uh, when we're all sitting at home. So there'll be a lot of zoom. There'll be a lot yeah. of zoom, uh, things going on <laughs> in the next two days. Maybe there'll be some zoom fireworks, zoom fireworks and esports. That's most likely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have all a right. great weekend. You too. Cheers. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a full episode. It was uh, what I called Esports Be Like. That's episode 35. It was blogsport.io, Megadeth with their new uh, platform called Plitch, Torque Esports of Darcy, and obviously Paul Thind with this new section. And uh, don't forget uh, about my video podcast that I want to do. Everything about what is happening in the world in and around gaming um i want to talk to people so if you are interested you don't have to have um a company or something you can be a game developer you can be an audio engineer you can do q a i want to talk to people that represent the gaming the gaming space you don't have to be major successful i want you to be someone that feels he or she has a voice um so interested Let me know, Uh, everyone uh, can find the contact on my page, uh, podcastgameconsultant.com. 
So for now, ciao for now. This was all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Game Consultant. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. And remember, do share this podcast with other members of the games industry.